0: Welcome to the Mission Gathering Thornton Message Cast. I was thinking about last week, in the past few weeks, America has been involved in this really highly publicized, highly politicized, hotly debated question. Is Disney Plus worth the money? I mean, what, what else did you think I was going to talk about there? I don't know. So like millions of other Americans, Korean and I signed up for, did we sign up for real? I think Disney Plus. I think we've signed up for real now. Yeah, it's for real now. You know, that's how they get you. You just forget to cancel. That's what they're counting on. Um, so as I understand it, Disney Plus has what? Disney, Marvel, uh, Star Wars, which it's all the same, right? What? But, you know, that's, that's me. What else? National Geographic. And then what else? I think 20th Century Fox, right? And um, so they include select movies from 20th Century Fox. So last one day, last Sunday I watched, uh, believe it or not, the whole uh, Sound of Music with my daughter Lexi. And, uh, you know, I forgot. That's a good movie. That's like a really good movie. And um, so I was hoping to watch the movie Joy, if you remember that movie Joy with Jennifer. Uh, thank you. I'm just going blank. Jennifer Lawrence on... Uh, on Disney Plus being it's a 20th Century Fox movie but sadly enough it wasn't on there. So, I don't know. I'm I'm still kind of unconvinced about the whole Disney Plus thing. It's got like, you know, 7,000 I think uh episodes of TV and 500 movies, but I mean beyond it's like, oh look, I used to watch Darkwing Duck when I was a kid. Oh, that's neat. Oh, look, there's a what's another one I used to watch when I was a kid like uh DuckTales. It's like, yeah. I don't know. So I guess y'all can decide. I think it's kind of like, well, who cares? But I'm not really a big Star Wars person. If you're a big Star Wars person, I can see, you know, like watching those movies every day. Um, but more to this, this movie, Joy, does anyone else remember that movie with Jennifer Lawrence? Uh, as I said, it stars Jennifer Lawrence, uh, Bradley Cooper, and Robert De Niro. And interestingly enough, I guess Jennifer Lawrence and Bradley Cooper have been in four movies together. They're like, yeah, they're a couple, a couple, movie couple. So, the movie Joy uh, details the real-life story of this woman, and I'm going to try to say her name right, Joy Mangano, something like that, Um, a woman who, despite being valedictorian of her class and being accepted into a fancy college, had since found herself struggling financially and juggling a complicated family life after staying at home to help her parents after they got divorced. And if you remember the movie, Complicated barely scratches the surface of all her family drama. So if, if you haven't seen the movie, she's got her mom Terry, who literally just stays in her bed all day watching uh, soap operas. She's got her under, she's got her ex-husband, uh, underemployed wannabe singer ex-husband Tony, living in her basement. And then if if that wasn't bad enough, at the beginning of the movie, her father literally gets dumped at her doorstep by his now ex, saying, I, "Hey, I don't want him anymore. He's yours." So her only option is to put her father in the basement with uh, the ex-husband, who, of course, they don't get along, if you can imagine. And, uh, you know, with all that happening, she's, she's trying to get by on a job that she doesn't really like, that doesn't pay enough to pay the bills to keep up with her run-down house. Now, as the movie goes, soon enough, uh, her father, Rudy, uh, Robert De Niro's character, meets this woman named Trudy. Uh, funny enough. Um, Isabella, who's it, it was Isabella... Okay, I'm horrible with names, uh, but Rudy meets Trudy, and this Trudy is this wealthy widower who uh, who has a lot of money, and she has this boat. So she decides to invite Rudy's family, so Joy and their kids and the grandparents, out for a sailing adventure on uh, Trudy's uh, ex or you know deceased husband's beloved sailboat. So um, you know Trudy had insisted this I guess this deck. Uh, the, the deck of the sailboat had this really nice wind deck, and she had insisted no red wine be brought on board. But, of course, the day of happens, and, and, and again, the, the funniness of this movie, the situation is uh, they invite along <laughs> Joy's ex-husband, Tony. So Tony comes, and he's bringing, he brings a crate of red wine. And, um, you know, she's like, oh, no, no, no. And then, like, uh, Tony, like, sings to her something, and then she's, she's kind of convinced, and, and she, they bring it on board. So mm-hmm. as you can imagine, they go out sailing, and they're kind of, you know, living it up, reveling. They break out the, they break out the wine. They pour it, they're enjoying life. And then, of course, you know, they're sailing in the middle, middle of winter, and they hit, a, they hit a wave, and things get jostled, and, and um, joy falls, falls over, and her wine glass breaks and spills wine all over this, you know, precious wood deck. Of this boat and Trudy, is, oh no, the wood, you know, the wood deck, and so what? What uh, you know, Joy trying to make amends, she she gets a mop and the bucket, and she starts mopping up the red wine, and she's on the floor, you know, literally on her hands and knees, and she's wringing out this mop back, you know, I'm not old enough (laughs) to remember these days, but she's wringing out, and she looks, and her hands are are cut because the glass from the shards of the wine glass have have cut her hands. So they make it home, and uh, you know when they're back at home, the family's kind of a flutter, like, oh, you know, Joy's she's in such a precarious position. I don't, I don't really understand it, but you know, the family was all flutter about Joy's, uh, you know, fragile condition, and they encourage her to get a, a good night rest, and they're like shoving like kids' cough syrup in her face, like, here, take some cough syrup and go to sleep. So eventually, she falls asleep on the couch after taking a couple of these doses of kids' cough syrup, and as she drifts off to sleep. Uh, there's a TV, her, her mom's TV, playing in the background, playing a soap opera in the background. And she, she falls into this dream where she's in the midst of the soap opera. And in the dream, as she, she adjusts to her surroundings, she sees her childhood self come up and ask, 17 years. Think about it. For 17 years, we've been hiding. We used to make things, then it all stopped. What happened? And her childhood self says to her, When you're hiding, you're safe because people can't see you. But the funny thing about hiding is you're even hidden from yourself. The joy wakes the next morning and she's like a new woman. She goes downstairs and says, Tony, you have to move out. And then her father is like, Oh, sweet, I get the basement for myself. And she's like, No, dad, you have to get out of here too. And then uh, she, from there, she marches upstairs and she pulls out her her daughter's crayons and some big pieces of paper, and she starts sketching this mop idea. She starts sketching just like these rough sketches, and she starts plastering it on the walls. And she comes up for for an idea for a new, uh, new ingenious, revolutionary new kind of mop. And it's a it's interesting because in some ways that. You know, the the dream is really meant to signify, at least as as I see it in the movie, this transformational moment in her life. But I sort of wonder if that transformational moment in her life happened instead when she was on the boat, down on her hands and knees, scrubbing the deck as her family kind of just ignored her, looking on callously. So to me, that was, to me at least, that's that's like the turning point in her life. That was like the low point in her life, like the low point in her life where she kind of said, this, this is enough. And I kind of wonder, like, if, if you've ever found yourself in that kind of spot, where you've been beaten down by life, by fan, family, by, by finances. You know, like joy, you used to make things, used to dream big, used to do things. But the brutalities of life, responsibilities of, of injustice have left you beaten and bloodied on the floor staring up confusedly at those people who should be helping you and instead are mocking you and disparaging you maybe like joy it was this moment or shortly thereafter that you wondered to yourself and thought like what happened i used to dream big i used to be proud of myself i used to be somebody but like joy you've been beaten and bloodied by life you've disappeared you've hidden and you've decided to stay hidden until it's safe but the funny thing (laughs) the funny thing about hiding is that you you stay hidden from yourself your dreams your goals they become hidden too and each time the inkling arises to come out of hiding you remember the pain the mistreatment the abuse and you say to yourself they can wait i can wait but here's the problem the longer we stay hidden, the, the, the more we decide to stay in the dark. It makes it that much harder to come out. You know, those voices of doubt get louder. Am I good enough? Do I have what it takes? Am I enough? You know, maybe these, maybe these past few weeks with that, uh, the, 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 was it the 2009 to 2019, that Facebook thing? Have you seen that? Where you post a picture of yourself from 2009, posted a picture of yourself now. You know, I don't know for for y'all, but for me at least, it's easy to think and be like, man, 10 years, where did they go? Wow. Maybe you also looked at those and think, wow, where have the 10 years gone? What happened to me in 10 years? Where did I go? Maybe you think, "How do I come out of hiding?" I want us to look at two stories this morning that I think speak powerfully to this situation. So the first story comes from the from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, uh, who was an ancient prophet writing in the midst of a national tragedy. So his country had just been invited by or invited no, it was not invited. They had just been invaded by the Babylonians, who were an ancient superpower of that day. So they'd come, they'd invaded the country, and worse, they'd taken thousands of people by force back to Babylon. It was a catastrophe like none they'd ever seen, and and in the face of such disasters, the people fell into a deep despair. Anguish and misery were everywhere, and as you can imagine, joy was in short supply. Yet in the midst of this situation, the prophet Isaiah spoke a word of hope. And of joy. In Isaiah 35, the prophet writes, The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like a crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. To me, his words were not so unlike the word of another some hundreds of years in the future Although they weren't coming from a well-known prophet like Isaiah, they were coming from a lowly, uh, lowly peasant girl. Can you guess who I'm talking about? Mary, who we now know as the mother of Jesus, was perhaps in a far worse state than Isaiah. A young woman in a male-dominated society with far little access to privilege. And to make matters worse, she had become pregnant, despite being unmarried, something that was unthinkable. At that time. Yet despite the, the external circumstances that should have left her delusion, disillusioned, struggling my words today, should have left her disillusioned and on the brink of despair. I mean, she's far from it. And if you remember the story, do you remember that like Mary, she goes to her, her Aunt Elizabeth's house? Like thinking of that story, I sort of wonder, like, whose decision was it to send Mary? Because Mary doesn't seem to be despondent or anxious rather in the book of luke she says something far more hopeful and joyous she's a beacon of hope and joy she says my soul magnifies the lord and my spirit rejoices in god my savior for he has looked up with favor on the lowliness of his servant surely from now on All the generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Both Mary and Isaiah, despite the apparent hopelessness of their situation, did not despair, and instead were were able to find joy in the seeming darkness. I sort of wondered, like, how the heck did they do this? Right? Right? Like, we were talking this morning just about the fog and the cold and the the cloudiness of this week and how easy it is to feel like we're in the snow and we're digging ourselves out emotionally and spiritually and stuck in that fog. And I think about Mary and Isaiah and how much, like, their situation was really bad. Like, it was a tough, bad situation. I mean, Isaiah's homeland had just been invaded, his countrymen likely killed in battle, and his neighbors Taken by force, his life, his homeland, his people would never, ever be the same. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, despite the romantic, you know, images we have of her, some two thousand years later, she was in a desperate position herself. Men in her time did not take kindly to unwed mothers. Likely, herself and her child would be um, forever shamed and excluded. So, in the midst of this, in the midst of their seemingly dire circumstances, how did they summon joy? As we've been talking about uh, all morning, this Sunday marks the season of the start of Advent in the church world. As has been said, Advent is a time of expectant waiting. And preparation for both the, the nativity of, of Jesus at his birth, but also the future reign of Jesus at the second coming. So, in the season of, of Advent, we mark, uh, like Paul talked about, we have Advent calendars, we have Advent devotional devotionals, we have prayers to help prepare ourselves for the waiting. It is, after all, meant to be a season of, of waiting. But as has been kind of alluded to, this Advent, we're trying to do things a little differently. And rather than focus on waiting, we're trying to think about the things in our lives that can't wait. The things that can't wait. You know, this is, (laughs) we've already talked about this too this morning. This is such a busy time of year. You know, we've got the holiday parties, the meals, the the family coming over, the friends coming over. Things are so busy, it's hard to even keep our, our head on straight. And anything not, like, just not uh, immediately <laughs> necessary to our survival kind of gets pushed off to the side, pushed off to January, right? Which, which kind of makes sense because January is like the new year. And in, in, uh, in, in, in January is always like about like starting things off with new, fresh new uh, New Year's resolutions and stuff. And it's a natural time to kind of do that. But this year... This year, 2019, before the new year, I want to challenge you to consider the things in your life that cannot wait for the new year. For Mary and Isaiah, joy could not wait. But how, we might ask. Again, Isaiah in the midst of a national tragedy. For Mary in the face of societal rejection, how did they find joy? How do they have joy? I think it's interesting if we look at the definition of joy. Joy is an emotional uh, emotion evoked by well-being, success, good fortune. It's an emotion evoked by possessing what one desires. Uh, for the character Joy, Jennifer Lawrence in that movie Joy... Despite the insults of her father, the belittling of her sister, to the dysfunction of her family, she was able to find in herself that she was good enough, that she had what it takes, and that she was enough. In the movie, I think, I think that's illustrated in her encounter with her younger self in that dream. For Mary and Isaiah... I believe their joy stemmed from their deep down confidence and assurance that God loved them, that God was with them, and that God loved them. Despite the calamity that Isaiah experienced, he, uh, he was convinced, Isaiah was convinced that God had not abandoned his people, that God still had plans for them, that God still had big dreams for them. And it was that assurance, that, that hope that gave him joy. For Mary, the same thing. Despite the uncertainty of her apparent situation, she was convinced that God was with her and God had big plans for her, that she was an important part of what God was trying to do in her world. It was that assurance of hope, that sense of well-being that gave her joy. Now, I wouldn't say that Mary and Isaiah were, were happy because joy isn't happiness, Happiness tends to be externally triggered uh, and is based on other people, places, things, and events. Again, remember the situation. Isaiah's country had just been invaded. His neighbors deported. His brothers likely killed. Mary, Mary herself was a young peasant girl facing alienation and possibly humiliation from her family and friends and neighbors. On the surface, I think we can agree on this, right? There was nothing in their lives to be happy about. Right? Nothing. But because of God's presence, God's love, God's assurance, they could live their lives in joy. Despite the chaos and calamity, despite the external circumstances. I want you to know this morning, you possess all that is needed with God You possess all that is needed, all you could desire, that you are enough. Maybe, like in the movie, you've been putting things off. You've been putting yourself off. You've been putting off believing that you are enough, that you have enough, that you are good enough. Maybe you've been saying to yourself, I can wait. I can wait until things improve, until my kids get older, until my job gets better. Whatever, I can wait. I want to tell you this morning it cannot wait. You cannot wait. Joy cannot wait in your life. And again, I'm not asking you to be happy. I am not asking you to be happy. Your life might still be hard. If I can say it's your job, it might still suck. Your situation might still be precarious. but You can still have joy. You can still have the belief and assurance that you are enough, that you are good enough, that you have what it takes. Because that's what God thinks. In the movie Joy, it was Joy's grandmother, right, Mimi? Who I think was the one who was constantly affirming her, who was loving her, who was supporting her. For Mary, for Isaiah, for you, for me, it's God within us, alongside us, constantly affirming us, loving us, and supporting us. In the season of Advent... I want you to know that joy cannot wait. You can't wait knowing that you are a child of God, beloved by God. And I know, I know for some of us, that's probably hard to accept. I know for me, I grew up uh, grew up in a religious setting where it was kind of like I was constantly told, constantly preached to you that I was a bad person, that I was in, I was inherently sinful, I was inherently broken. And... For me, it's taken me a long time to even come to accept and believe that God truly loves me, that God thinks I'm enough, that God accepts me. And and I think in in many ways, it's a lifelong endeavor, knowing and trusting in God's love for us, finding joy in the assurance that we are a beloved child of God. But when you know that you're enough, when you know that you possess within yourself all that you need, when you know you have what it takes because of God, that's when I believe joy comes. That's when you experience joy. I mean, let me tell you, despair is toxic. Despair holds us down. It keeps us limited. It hides us. This season of Advent... That can't remain. Joy cannot wait. You cannot wait. Know that God loves you, God affirms you, God supports you. You are a child of God. You knowing that, you having joy cannot wait. If you leave this with nothing else today, please leave that. You cannot wait. Joy can't wait because God loves you and affirms you. Know that. Hey, thanks for tuning in with us this week. You can check back for new messages each Tuesday. If you're in the Denver area, come see us this Sunday. You can find out more about our service times as well as the mission and vision of MG Thornton at mgthornton.org. That's M G T H O R N T O N dot o r g. See you next week.